My name is John Becker. For the past four decades, I've dedicated my life to protecting tactical operators. During this time, I've worked with many of the world's top law enforcement and military units. As a result, I've had the privilege of working with the amazing leaders who take teams into the world's most dangerous situations. The goal of this podcast is to share their stories in hopes of making us all better leaders, better thinkers, and better people. Welcome to The Debrief. Okay, so Jordan, after last week's episode, I got a lot of phone calls and emails and text messages saying, how's Jordan? Mm. What happened to Jordan? So why don't we just start there? How's Jordan? Uh, today? Yeah. Um, Jordan's doing good. I'm a full-time student right now, which is definitely a complete change of pace for me. Um, tumbling again, going back and um, not being who I used to be, but trying to figure out who I'm going to be in the future and making those plans. But no, I'm doing well right now. Full-time student, um, really invested in that, really invested in my studies right now, planning for the future. Body, doing pretty good. Um, lower back sucks. I'm pretty sure that applies to like 60% of <laughs> cops, anybody yeah. who wears a vest. Um, but yeah, since my hips are a little uneven now, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, lower back's pretty rough. The leg on cold days, you know, you can feel it. The arms, if I move something super, super heavy, I can feel it. But over, overall, um, I know a lot of guys get it worse. So there's no, no complaints from me, surprisingly. Just sometimes your back sucks and just focused on school. But overall, doing well. And now you're medically retired. Yes. Yeah. So off the job, full-time student, trying to figure out what Jordan 2.0 is going to be. Correct. Yeah. So I've had a couple different plans floated. Originally, it was like nursing school with a thought of going flight medic. Um, but ultimately, I think long-term, what I'd like to do is PA. So I'm working on um, getting my bachelor's degree in, in the medical field. Right now, I'm leaning towards the bachelor's degree in respiratory therapy and then uh, PA school is definitely nice. the route I, I see myself going. Is a physician's assistant PA um, so I'll I have to get my bachelor's degree and I'm going to do that in respiratory therapy just so I get that good medical background get good at um, innovations art lines things like that and then I want to go to go to be a uh, physician's assistant two years of school but pretty intensive school um, but it's something that I can see myself doing not getting bored with and uh, you know a lot of satisfaction helping people in a different way so yeah I mean I think it, it's interesting because you're really young <laughs> and, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's Jordan 2.0 at, at a very young age, but from, from where I said, I, I think that you've given us enough. Yeah. And that was the hardest thing. Like really, that was super, super difficult to deal with is I am young and I'm hungry and I loved the dynamic parts of being a cop. Like I loved the foot pursuits, the vehicle pursuits, getting the gangsters, getting the guns, the SWAT callouts, the barricades, the warrants, the range, like that was probably some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. Um, and so it really took me stepping back and stepping away to plan for that long-term future. It's like, yes, this is fun now. Well, I'm 32 years old, but you got metal in your leg, you got metal in both your arms and your stomach. You got a scar, like a 12 inch scar in your stomach. Where are you going to be in 10 years? How's your back going to be in 10 years? what is your plan? Like, are you just going to do this till your body falls apart? So I really had to kind of humble myself and say, hey, you are not going to feel 
be this young forever, where do you see yourself in the future? And I wanted a career that I can literally do for the next 30 years without continuing to make that daily sacrifice that cops make on their body. Because I don't know too many cops after the age of 50 who can stand up straight without their lower back hurting. So. Oh, yeah. I'm 55, and all of my friends that were you know my contemporaries when I started my business— uh, I don't know anybody that doesn't have at least one knee replacement. Yeah. They've all had Achilles tendon surgery. They've all had meniscus surgery. Yeah, the the toll it takes is just potent. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I am the healthy one now, which is <laughs> which is kind of terrifying when I when I look at my friends and thought, oh, man, that guy's in such good shape. He's like 75% bionic now, though. <laughs> so yeah. so let's, let's go back. Like, sure. <clears throat> we covered last week's episode. We went through, you know, the event and kind of the the medical response and and kind of lessons learned but i think what what people want to understand and what i would love to share with our audience is what jordan went through sure right like what what was you know the shooting happens you get to the hospital let's just kind of walk through the timeline yeah so um i get to the hospital i'm awake the whole time i mean Obviously, Spencer talked about it. That's a good thing that I'm awake the whole time. It sucked when you're going through it because I yeah. can feel every second of it. But uh, I'm awake the whole time. They finally, um, I think I went to surgery. It was either an hour and a half, two hours after I got to the hospital, which is another good sign, you know, not getting rushed straight off. But I remember going up to the OR and the anesthesiologist tells me, hey, you're going to sleep. And I look at him right in the eyes and I say, thank God. <laughs> straight in the eyes. Like, I'm like... I'd like to take a nap, please. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. I'm willing to miss this part. <laughs> yeah. So I wake up from the first surgery. Um, from what I was told, it's uh, about a 10-hour surgery. So I wake up from that. Um, feels the best way I could describe coming out of it is just like you feel like you're waking up out of like a crazy ice bath. Like I felt like I was defrosting, you know, <laughs> and you're jolted right back into your body. My leg feels worse than it ever did. Arms, I can feel every second of it in my stomach. Um, the pain kind of doubled in my stomach. Um, but I wake, you know, I wake up in my hospital bed. Some family comes to see me, see my mom, see my, see my girl, tell them, Hey, I'm doing all right. Like, stop freaking out. I'm fine. They walk out of the room. I'm like, I'm freaking out. This hurts. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, um, puts on a brave face. They walk out, goes back to exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, talk to them. Everything's good. The nice thing was the department had a officer sit with me the whole time, you know, um, obviously it was a gang member who was involved in it. We don't know about family security reasons. So it was, but it was nice having somebody to talk to. And then, uh, they started prepping me for my second surgery. So at that point they had what's called a Steinman pin in my, uh, in my left tib fib. So it's a metal pin that they drill through your shin and they attach weights to that, um, that, uh, pin to the edge of your bed to pull traction on your femur. So that was not. That uh, sounds like a barrel. No, it was it was not pleasant. Um, so that's how I woke up from the first surgery with my Steinman pin in, which was great. And then uh, the what they did in the first surgery. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling. What they did in the first surgery was they repaired my stomach because that was the emergent part. Yeah, let's walk real quick. Mm-hmm. Let's go back through injury. So left and right ulnar bones are broken. Yep. Femur shattered. Shattered. Mm-hmm. Left femur. Um, round through the stomach, like tra- traverses the stomach. Yep, part of the, uh, I think it's the descending colon and the small intestine. Get caught as the round mm-hmm. goes through. Yeah. And then around through and through in the shoulder. Yeah, that one um, didn't need any medical intervention. They just patched it. And then a graze wound on the ribs. Yeah, graze wound to the ribs. And two in the plate. Yeah, uh, two to the plate carrier. Okay. So, so okay, so you were saying 
start with the stomach. Yeah, so first surgery was the stomach repair, and then they placed the Steinman pin. And then um, they told me once I woke up from that, because my arms and legs still broken, um, that I'm obviously going to need a second surgery to repair my limbs, um, but the ORs are full. And obviously they have a couple safe for like emergent situations and I was stable. So I, I think I waited like two days in the hospital and uh, the pain was there obviously, but you know, they had me so high on stuff that I, it, I was managing it pretty well. And then I go to my second surgery and I wake up and just, it felt like the pain had just turned up on a scale that I just hadn't felt before, especially in the leg. Once they put the rod in, once they put um, plates in my right arm, my left arm, waking up from that second surgery, I think it was, I would, the first surgery was on Wednesday, second surgery was on Friday. Waking up for that second surgery was rough. Um, that night after, it was, it was a rough night. But So the first surgery is basically the, the abdominal repair. Yeah. Second surgery is all the orthopedic stuff. Yep, all the orthopedic uh, repairs. Which you said are... plates in left and right arms, mm-hmm. and then pin in the leg. Yeah, a rod that runs from my left knee up into my left um, hip. Oh, so like I was a stiver rod, I think? Uh, I'm not sure the name of it. Yeah, but it's, uh, it basically it's it's in the middle of the femur to, to rebuild the femur. Correct. And then and then a, a pin down in the shin Which to was pull removed. that with. Yeah, so that was removed. So I wake up from my second surgery. There's no longer weights pulling on my leg, which I thought would be nice. But um, you still feel the leg break. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. You just deal with it. The hospital that was it. It sucks too, and especially with stomach surgeries. If anybody's had a stomach surgery, you you know you have to have what's called a NG tube, nasal nasogastrinal yeah. tube, to um, provide suction because they can't risk you um, vomiting. You vomit, you're gonna tear all your stitches open. So I have this tube that's running through my nose, down my throat, into my stomach, and um, can't drink and you can't eat the whole time. So the whole time I'm in the hospital, I can't have any water, and I can't uh, can't eat anything while I'm while I'm dealing with this. And it sounds crazy, but looking back, that was definitely like one of the harder things to deal with, especially once you think I was there for like five six days and the tube didn't get taken out till day five, and so that sucked. I remember, <laughs> I think we're five days on from surgery now. That they finally took the tube out. They said, "All right, your stomach's healing." Um, take the tube out and they give me uh, an orange jello. And I remember that was the first thing I had eaten. And I was so like the flavor from a hospital <laughs> orange jello. You would not believe how much flavor that jello had. Like I've, it, I've done six day fasts in the past. And yeah, oh, I'm sure you would. It, it yeah. is amazing on that six day. Like you eat and it's, it's like the explosion of magic. flavor from yeah, just magic. the most basic thing. It's just yeah. blew my mind. And I don't know. I still remember that jello. <laughs> Fascinating. So, um, up until now, mm-hmm. I imagine in that five or six days, you're, you're kind of rising and falling yeah, emotionally. Definitely. What were, what were the low points for you? So it was probably the first night after my second surgery. I was really high because I was on all kinds of pain, pain meds. When you come off of prolonged anesthesia, like I was on, you hallucinate. So I'm hallucinating. I'm in just a ton of pain. You know, because that's how it is whenever you wake up from something like that. And then um, what had happened was I was an EMT before I was a cop. So I'm blessed with just just enough medical knowledge to know when something's wrong, but not enough to know that it's not that serious. <laughs> you know? Got it. So uh, that night I start noticing that there's fresh blood coming into my NG tube. 
And to me, I know that means there's an upper GI bleed that's that's happening. So that's what I knew from my EMT knowledge. What I didn't know from you know, lack of further knowledge is probably just an ulcer. So at the time I'm like, my stomach ripped open. I'm dying. This isn't good. You know, like I had convinced myself that I was going to die in the hospital bed. And that's what freaked me out more than anything. Like if I died out there in the field, like who cares, you know? And I know that sounds callous, but that's, that's a quick, easy death. I did not want to die in a hospital bed laying there helpless. Like that was one of my biggest fears at the time was just dying like that. And so when you're hallucinating and you're super high, you're not really rational. I convinced myself that I was dying. And uh, eventually it took a text from one of the doctors who was on the team, Doc Eby, sent a text to, uh, I think it was my mom who was with me at the time, like, tell Jordan to calm down. Like, it's probably an ulcer. He's fine. Like, and and uh, the message he said was, remember, two steps forward, one step back. And that kind of stuck with me throughout the process of, this healing process is you are going to take steps forward, but there are going to be setbacks. And so you have to manage that. Take your setback, take your medicine, and then just take two more steps forward tomorrow. So got through that night, eventually fell asleep and uh, got through it. But that was definitely the low point. Was that the only time that you thought you were going to die? That night, I thought I was going to die. And then um, the initial shooting when I went down, obviously you're trying to self-assess and I knew it was bad. I knew it was hit a lot. And um, I hadn't lost consciousness yet, but there was definitely the thought there of just, hey, like this, this could turn, you might not make it. So, but other than that, those two moments, I, I knew I was going to pull through. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that we've talked about offline and, and talked about with Spencer mm-hmm. is that the, the physical condition that you were in going into this is probably a large part of the reason you're still alive. Yeah, that's what all the surgeons said. They said it definitely helps during the initial surgery. Um, the orthopedic surgeon kind of cursed me a little bit because she's like, yeah, it's good for your recovery. She's like, it's very difficult to get through all that muscle to put your place the rod. But she was like, I mean, that's my problem, not your problem. Like, you did the right thing. <laughs> like, yeah, that, sound, that sounds like a her shit. problem, not a Jordan <laughs> yeah. problem. Yeah. So she kind of joked with me a little bit. Um, she was like, yeah, it was kind of hard to get through all that muscle to place, uh, place the rod. But um, that really, really took its toll being in good shape, took its toll during the, um, physical therapy process. That was huge. Absolutely huge. See, I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's, I think lessons learned, Mm -hmm. right? Always the goal of the podcast is lessons learned. Yeah. And I think that one of the lessons learned here is the fact that you were in the physical condition that you were not only means you survive better, but it means you recover better. Correct. Yeah. No. Um, especially when you have good workout habits established. So that PT lifestyle, a lot of people dread physical therapy, getting up out of bed, you know, you're sore, you're tired. But to me, that was already part of what I was doing daily, daily conditioning. So I mentally just treated it like, hey, I'm going to go work out instead of thinking of like, oh, man, I got to go do physical therapy of like, no, I'm going to go work out. And that's how I convinced myself to go and give 100, 100 miles an hour um, every time I went to a physical therapy session to the points where they're like, you, you need to calm down. And I was like, no, you need to turn it up. <laughs> like, You need to crank it up a little. Cause this is easy. Um, so that, that mentality of just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing really, I feel like helped me get back on my feet as quickly as I did. What, when did you know you were going to be okay? When was the first time that you're like, I think I'm going to be okay. From the initial shooting or? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, or from the hospital. Like, so where, where was that point that you were like, I, I think I'm gonna be alright. Sounds weird, but once my back actually hit the hospital bed, and I felt like I once once I got to the hospital, they pulled me out of the car, they moved me off the gurney, and they put me on that soft hospital bed. That's when I was like, all right, I'm still here, I'm still talking. Yeah, this shit hurts, but. I think I'm going to be okay. And at that point, luckily it, I had reached that conclusion because shortly after that, my parents walked in and then my, uh, my fiance walked in and I spoke to them and I was able to be as calm as I could and just tell them like, Hey, I'm okay. Like I'm going to be fine. Relax. Like we're, we're good. My mom's a mess. Fiance is a mess. My dad looks right at me. I look at him. I was like, dad, I'm dad. I'm okay. And he was like, yeah, you know, if you're still talking, you're going to be fine. I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. So it's interesting because our mutual friend, Ed Hinchy, you know, <laughs> who, who we both adore, um, when I interviewed Ed, one of the things he said is that mindset, yeah, mindset really matters to both survival and recovery. And, and every time we've talked about this, that's what I see is that your mindset was in the right place kind of all the time. I mean, certainly, you know, it's a roller coaster, but yeah. you, you were, you were committed to surviving and, and thriving again from the, from the get. Yeah, like you said, it's a roller coaster. Um, you just you have to remember to to ride those waves, and and is that 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 little mantra that uh, Doc Eby gave me of just two steps forward, one step back. And when you take a step back, you cannot let it like defeat you. You can't let it destroy your spirit. You just have to know, like, hey, today your leg hurts. Yeah, that's gonna happen. All right, let's work on your arms. Hey, let's work on some core. Let's do something else. Well, that lake heals, and then you can go back to it. But I think where a lot of guys run into trouble is this, hey, I'm not who I used to be. It's like, well, no, you're not going to be who you used to be. Like, you never be who you used to be, but you can be someone just as good. You can, And it might be in different ways. Yeah. But you just have to have that mindset going forward of just 100, mi- 100 miles an hour in your PT, 100 miles an hour in your recovery. Or 100%. I don't want to say 100 miles an hour. Either way. 100%. Yeah. That's what you have to give. So, okay, so five days, second surgery. Yeah. That's done. They've they've turned you into a bionic man and put all kinds of <laughs> ballistic parts into you. Um, what's the next significant milestone? Um, so to get out of the hospital, I had to... Uh, I had to start being able to pee on my own again, which sounds weird, but teaching your body how to pee on its own is a pain. It sucks. Because when you can't, they have to do what's called a straight catheter, where they go in and take the pee out. Otherwise, your bladder's going to burst. So. That sounds like a barrel of laughs. No, it sucks. It really, really sucks. But uh, but I, your body responds quicker than you'd think. So once you could pee on your own, then they were able to get me out of the hospital, and I got transferred to their uh, live-in rehab facility. And I was there for, I think, like seven or eight days, where every single day, three times a day, I was doing physical therapy with the goal of you know, going home. So they, they teach you how to get up, get out of your wheelchair, get into bed, um, get up three steps. Cause I had three steps to my house. So we worked on steps. We worked on, you know, going to the bathroom, all these livable things, um, as well as just strength conditioning, working on my right side. Cause that was the good leg working on how to manipulate that to, you know, protect my femur. Um, so it, it was good cause you work out every day, multiple times a day. So being there was really good my mind so then after that eight days we get the great video snippet my personal favorite video snippet of jordan <laughs> walking out of the hospital i was adamant about that 
I was absolutely adamant because, um, you know, they're like, all right, here's your wheelchair. We're, you know, we'll wheel you out. And I looked at my mom. I was like, get my walker. I'm not, I, I want everybody to know that I'm okay. I don't want people to see me because it was bad. Like everybody knew it was bad. You heard about it. It was bad. Oh, yeah. Um, So if I could mitigate people's fears a little bit, not just to be selfless if it helps people like calm down a little bit not blow me up every day you yeah. know that, that's a that's a plus so uh no i i was adamant i walked out of there on my modified walker because i couldn't put weight on my forearms but i because both your arms were broken yeah because both my arms yeah, let's, were broken. let's just keep perspective here <laughs> yeah your, your modified walker implies that like you know both your arms are broken i could put the tension on my elbows yeah 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 and uh, push with my good leg, keeping my broken leg off the ground. <laughs> hey, you could lean on the parts of the arms that weren't broken yeah. and walk out on the one leg that wasn't broken. <laughs> I was I was sore when I went home, I'll say that. <laughs> it was worth it. I mean, yeah. I can honestly say, like, watching the video, um, you know, that was the first real indication that we got. And, and watching the video, it did, it, it. there was something different about you walking out. Yeah. As opposed to going out in a wheelchair, you're like, he's going to be okay. Yeah, and and that's really the message I wanted to convey of just like, hey, I'm gonna be fine. I walked in my walker and I did like the lap and said hi to everybody there, and you know, spoke to as many people as I could, and then eventually looked at my dad, gave him the whole like, <laughs> hey, I'm done. We're done, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> Leg hurts. Need to go sit down. Um, and then got in my truck and got out of there, which was nice. Um, so that that was definitely a high that day. So what's it like when you get home? So it's different for everybody. I know a lot of people experience like a great sense of relief, like, hey, I'm finally home. I'm finally out of it. And for me, I couldn't tell you why I felt this way, but I was hit with one of the real, real low points, like just this wave of depression that I had not felt yet um, when I got out of the hospital and finally made it home. And I've talked about it. And I, I think I understand why now. But at the time, it was like shocking. I didn't expect to feel this way. But just a wave of depression hit me like I never felt before. Um, so I guess the mindset behind it was when I was at the live-in rehab facility, I had a tight schedule. I would wake up every day. I would PT four times a day. You know, I had occupational therapy. Lunch was at a certain time. Everything was on a strict schedule with the goal of going home. So your day is filled. Your day is productive. Your day is... Um, moving towards a concrete goal near term a goal. near term concrete goal and then when i got home it was just this well now what what's yeah, my like, oh, good luck with the rest of your yeah, life exactly yeah. like my stomach's still open i still have staples in my stomach that have not healed like i i still that requires wound care every day my leg's still broken my arms are still broken like i, I have wounds that need like tending my fiance had to help me with that and like actually clean my wounds every day um so that was a big question that hit me of just like, well, now what? Now what's your goal? Like, what's your concrete goal? Because there is none. It was take as much time as you need. Come, Like, we'll be here. And it was, that's not a concrete yeah, that's, goal. Yeah. That's, that is, that is uh, amorphous and nebulous and kind of, you know, it's unreachable. Limbo. It's limbo. Yeah. That's the best way to describe it. It's, it's literally just limbo. And that was really, really hard to deal with. Um, so what helped that for anybody who gets in that spot was coming up with a schedule. I made a daily schedule of, Hey, I have physical therapy Monday, Wednesday, Friday on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I take my little walker and I go for a walk 
around my neighborhood. I remember, I remember one of my neighbors saw me and, and started yelling at me. She's like, Jordan, you are a mile away from your house. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I was like, I can't be home anymore. I don't know what to tell you. Like an Alzheimer's <laughs> patient. Uh, we just found Jordan a mile from home. Uh, can you guys come pick him up? <laughs> I know. She. Uh, I thought she was just going to take my walker so I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> But, but, but again, that's that yeah, mindset, right? That's yeah. that mindset of like, I'm going to go do something hard. Yeah. And so that's what all the physical therapists noticed when I actually started going to physical therapy was just like, all right, we're going to start coming up with some new exercises for this guy. Cause I, I would just show up and be like, Hey, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I want to start doing this. Like, Hey, that was great. That wasn't hard enough. Or, Hey, you know, I can feel pain here. Let's modify it this way. And so I, I don't know, we started to develop a really close relationship to where I would go to physical therapy and I would be drenched from sweat head to toe and walk out of there. Like, and that sense of accomplishment is really important, especially when you're, you feel like you're in a limbo. I think also like you are an active participant in your own recovery. Yeah. A hundred percent. You get into it, what you put out of it. And I, I think one of my friends the other day, I met up with him. He had, um, broke his leg recently and he asked me, he was like, Hey, any advice? And I was like, the best advice I can give you is when you go to physical therapy, go a hundred miles an hour and give 110%. It's like, and make, make it hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go give a hundred percent when you go to physical therapy. Um, I saw him recently and he told me, he was like, bro, that was the best advice you, you ever gave me. He was like, my leg feels way better than it did. Um, and I'm like, I, di I didn't do anything. You did it. <laughs> like, yeah. Just but, but I think a lot of it, and, and this is part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you. I think I think a lot of it is as somebody who's talked to a lot of guys that have survived shootings, um, not knowing what to do, not yeah. knowing where you're going. Um, you know, I know that that you and I have, have had conversations with some of the other Safari Land survivors, and oh, yeah. it, it's having a roadmap, even if your road's going to be slightly different. Having some sense of where you're going kind of adds purpose to that, and it, it makes it feel like I, I'm not crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it just gets you out of that, that kind of funk of just like, well, like I, I don't have a direction, so I'll, I, I maybe I'll try this. It's like no, form a concrete plan and go attack that plan. That's that's the best thing you can do. Um, and I noticed a lot of the guys, the Safari Land survivors, I talk to once they get over, you know, some of the mental issues that they go through that uh, that I went through that every survivor or something like this goes through, and they get back to work. I see an improvement as, as long as, you know, some of those issues are dealt with. You see that improvement when somebody has a, a set plan in front of them. So what's the next major physical milestone? Um, so it was to graduate from the walker. So I went back to the doctor and they said, hey, congratulations, your arms are healed. You can now use a, um, a traditional walker. I was like, give me a cane. I was like, I'm, I want to use a cane. I don't want to use a walker. Like I'm sick of this walker. Um, it was funny too. Cause I had like this old man walker and I had like, you know, like gunfighter stickers on it, like six, six hour stickers on it. <laughs> I got an aardvark sticker on it. Like all kinds of I like, I just see you rolling into PT, with, you know, Glock and Sig stickers. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, walkers all decked out, but I finally yeah. got 50, 50 years younger than the guy next to you. Yeah. <laughs> got rid of that started walking on the walker um obviously no high impact but they're like you can start putting weight on that left leg now so that became a real focus in the physical therapy it was just trying to get that left leg strong again which takes effort <laughs> like yeah. you don't realize 
how much muscle mass you lose in that leg, in um, in a leg when you go through something like well, that. Well, and I've seen the X-rays of your leg, and it it especially initially didn't really look like a leg anymore. <laughs> like, even even healed now, my uh, the orthopedic surgeon who fixed it says your bone healed. It looks like a like a modern art sculpture down there now. Yeah, just, it's it's a little abstract. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> A little artsy. Yeah. I was like, all right. It's unique, though. It's a one of a kind. Yeah. I was like, all right, whatever. I just want to be able to tie my shoes. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then turns out the way the bone healed, she's like, yeah, buy some slip-ons. <laughs> <laughs> buy slip-ons. So today I had my fiance tie my shoes. Nice. Great. Nice. <laughs> um, but the next big one, obviously, was getting rid of the, uh, the cane and being able to walk on my own. And uh, that got better, obviously, because, you know, same thing, just push it too far <laughs> yeah well i mean I now like honestly like if, if i didn't know that you had injuries you can't tell yeah like obviously there's there's scars yeah but, the scars but are just there, like but... if you just met you, you 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 don't you can't tell that like you have no clue what happened it is funny i was at school the other day and obviously none of my classmates know i don't it's yeah. not something i go broadcast but uh one of the guys who sits next to me who i get along with really well looked at my arm and saw sees like the pretty distinct like bullet yeah. hole and yeah. scar and he was like bro what is that yeah, like that's nothing let me show the other one yeah, i was like oh that one i was like that's that easy guy, one. don't worry about that little guy yeah. but it, yeah it's uh and it, it he said the same thing he's like because I, I told him i had no problem yeah. talking about it and he was like that's he's like i never would have known and i was like well good like that that was the goal um obviously i chose to medically retire just like we talked about with the longevity and yeah going forward but my my goal was like i don't want to be the guy who you know limps around every day because you know he didn't take physical therapy serious like i yeah. still want to be able to work out because people asked me before what's your hobby one of my hobbies was going to the gym yeah. working out that's oh, something and it, and it showed yeah something yeah. i enjoyed yeah. it's something i enjoy now um so that was huge for me to continue that but yeah i think i think that um if you had, if you didn't know, you know what's happened since the shooting, and you just picked up Jordan before and Jordan after. Emotionally, there's probably a lot of difference. Physically, there's some marks, <laughs> but I don't know that you would necessarily be able to go. Oh, you know, he's like a different guy. Well, I got a few more cheeseburgers on me now, a little bit. Fair, but I'm losing. Fair, which losing is totally okay. <laughs> I think you're. I think at this point you are entitled yeah. to at least a couple of extra cheeseburgers <laughs> and five pounds of extra blood. I, I, I I'll take it. I think it's full pass on that one. So, so talk to me, let's like, that's the physical mm, side of it. Yeah. Talk to me about the emotional side of it. Like you, you talked about it, you were, it was dark when you first got home. Sure. And then what does that roller coaster look like from there? So, you know, we, I already spoke about, you know, that dark place and then getting that schedule helped. Well, I truly thought that I was okay. Like, especially when I was busy and I was, um, I was going through all this physical therapy and I was happy and I was tired and I was working out and all the guys were talking to me. I was talking to guys on the team. Um, I thought I was okay. Like I, th I thought, yeah, this is sad. There were days where, you know, I'd wake up and I'd, you know, you feel that grief and you know, you cry and things like that. And I get over it and I'd be fine. Like, and I was like, no, I'm handling this really well. I'm doing, I'm doing good. Fast forward. I think it's like five and a half months. I go back light duty and I'm working in personnel and training. I have a conversation with one of the guys on the team and he shares a detail with me about the shooting that I didn't remember until he said it. And it what the detail was, he he 
I remember we were talking and I was like, yeah, when I was down, I was just trying to call out where I was hit, you know, like, you know, it sounded like a badass in my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah I called yeah. out left arm, right arm. He was like, no. I was like, what do you mean no? He's like, no, you just said Mike. I was like, like Mike? He was like, yeah, you just said Mike, 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 Mike. And I remember it like, like this, like a cheesy TV, like, like a cheesy yeah. movie, this flashback flooded into my brain where when I was down, the guy at my head, um, his name is Mike Yen. Mike was at my head and he was the one who was talking to me. Cause that's one thing we always assign to, you know, if you're not actively doing medical aid, you're talking to the person, keeping them there. And, uh, that's what Mike was doing. Mike was talking to me like, Hey, we're all here. You're good. You're good. And I just, I remember looking at Mike and all I could say was just like, Mike, like Mike, Mike, Mike. Well, I didn't know. I didn't remember that until he said it. And I can't even describe the emotions that hit me while I'm at work, light duty. So we've somehow, we're, we're at lunch when we're talking about this. Somehow I'm able to keep it together. I go sit at my desk and uh, my buddy sits next to me at his desk. We Our desk are like right next to each other. And I'm like staring at a blank computer screen. <laughs> like, there's nothing on it. Like I'm not doing anything. I'm literally sitting at my desk, staring at a blank computer screen, just completely, almost like shell shock, like just completely overwhelmed. And uh, my buddy who sits next to me, he was actually a, a vet, served a couple tours in um, Iraq. He recognized immediately that something was wrong. He's like, hey, dude, like, why don't you go home? And I was like, all right. He's like, I'll talk to the lieutenant. I'll talk to everybody. He's like, don't say bye to anybody. Just grab your stuff. Go home. Call me if you need me. I was like, cool. You know, and good on him for being heads up. Yeah. Like, it was really heads up. So I go start driving home, and my heart rate is through the roof. I'm sweating, like, truly, like, diaphoretic. I am completely sweat through my shirt, um, sobbing uncontrollably. And my breathing accelerates to the point where I can't even drive. I literally have to pull over halfway home because I, I can't drive. My hands won't stop shaking. So I sit in my car on the side of the road in the ghetto of San Bernardino because I was taking the streets home. I didn't trust myself to drive the freeway. Um, just sitting on the side of the road for about 30 minutes before that, what we would describe as a panic attack subsided and i was actually able to start my car and drive home and that's when um i went back to work and said like i need to talk to somebody i'm not okay like i can't do this like yeah because that was the first time where that actual physical side of ptsd hit me and this is months later at this point i was like no i'm i, I think i'm fine yeah I, I think i'm past this yeah i totally weathered this thing it's no big deal exactly yeah. And so once that hit me, um, talked to a therapist or, uh, they put me in touch with the counselor, told the counselor what happened. And she was like, I'm putting you off work. I was like, well, I wasn't going to go back anyway. So I'm glad <laughs> well, at least oh, I'll get paid. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm glad I wasn't going to go. <laughs> like, yeah. And, uh, so I started working with her and, uh, I think I worked with her for about, I think it was four months that I saw her and we started doing this therapy called EMDR. So rapid or rapid, sorry, eye movement desensitization, desensitization. I forget what the R stands for. Something like that is. So essentially it's 
you need to take that short-term memory that's causing your brain to think you're in a fight or flight situation and activating your sympathetic nervous system. You need to take that short-term memory and get your brain to process it and put it into long-term memory. She was like, that's what's happening. It's like the emotional side is the emotional side. You're going to grieve. You're going to be angry. You're going to go through all that. She's like, that's just going to happen. But the physical side, the panic attack, the accelerated heart rate, the sweatiness, because this had happened a couple times after that. Um, that trigger, she's like, that's something we can help with. You don't have to live like that. Um, so we started started this process, and it was a long process, and it wasn't easy, but um, trying to transfer that memory into long term. Yeah, I've heard it described by by other shooting survivors and, and doctors that I've talked to is the, the best application I heard was if it fired together, it's wired together. Yeah. And that you have to unwire the physiological response from the emotional yeah. Like you said, you know, the, 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 the fear, the trauma, the sadness, all of that is, is an emotion Yeah, and you can process the emotion, but it's the physical aspect of it. It's the high heart rate and, and literally your body going back into fight or flight Yeah, uncontrollably, right? It, Cause there is no direct threat right now. Straight adrenaline no way to dump. solve it. Yeah. Straight yeah. adrenaline dump. How, so you worked with her about four months. When does that portion of this thing not necessarily go away, but become manageable and, and kind of tempered? Um, I'd probably say, I, I, I think towards the end of that time, the severe panic attacks subsided for me. And I, I know it's different for everybody, but like the, the adrenaline dumps randomly got smaller and smaller until eventually they kind of stopped for me um the emotional sides where i felt like emotionally i could talk about it i could watch the video i could you know share this experience without getting too emotional probably took me it's it still comes back every once in a while but i'd say probably over the year mark like maybe year or two three months something like that yeah but and what what now still triggers that for you like is is there is there anything to direct where you're like, oh, I need to avoid, you know, I need to watch, wa avoid watching Rambo or, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can't watch cats on TV or, you know. Well, it's, I, I think we talked about it obviously yeah. before this, but it, if I'm watching a body worn camera video from somebody else's incident, I can watch that just fine. Even if they're taking contact, even if they're taking fire, it's the officer down where I can hear the officers screaming, where I could hear or see the blood, things like that. I can still watch it. Like, you know, if I had to get through it, I could do it and yeah. I'd be fine. Um, but it's, do I avoid it? Yeah. Like yeah. personally, I don't want to see it cause I'm like, I've been there. It sucks. I mean, I, you know, you and I watched the video of, of you yeah. um, together and, and I mean, I, I my heart rate was elevated and yeah. like, it's, it's, it's certainly traumatic and, but it's, it's a testament to your willingness to go to therapy your willingness to engage, you know, it's, it's so easy as, as a type males to think I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I can deal with this. And you know, it's, it's at Hinchy again. And I've had this conversation like, you know, you didn't hesitate to get your leg fixed when it got shot. Yeah. Right. Your arm's broken. You're getting that treated, <laughs> yeah. but we're, we're very inclined to just go, Oh no, no, my brain, there's nothing wrong with my brain. Yeah. No, your, your brain had the same experience that the rest of your body did. And it's, it's the same thing. Like my leg was broken or my leg was not broken until it was broken. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like when that happens, like 
your mind needs to be fixed. So for me, I was fine up until boom, like I was hit with it yeah. hard. And I know it's different for everybody. Some people can be progressive, especially I know a lot of guys long years on the job where they see horrendous things. PTSD can be, can grow and, and shape over time. But this for me was one major incident that was causing like a visceral reaction yeah. that I needed to go deal with. Um, yeah. So we've, you know, subsequent to your shooting, you've had conversations with guys who have recently been in shootings. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I is your friend and most proud of is the fact that you were willing to go and engage that and pass on you know, kind of what was shared with you by other people. What, what would your counsel be to somebody who has just had an event like this? Um, well, there's two portions of it, obviously, as we talked about for the physical stuff, the simple advice, just hundred percent in all your, in all everything you can do to try and recover physically, go hundred percent. Even if it's all you can do is move your hand in the hospital, well then move your hand, flex your hand, do whatever you can. Um, so the, that's the physical side for the mental side is you can't do it on your own, no matter how much you want to, you cannot fix what what is going on in your brain on your own. Now, whether that means you talk to a therapist or you talk to somebody who's been through it before, I recommend a trained professional, personally. Um, when you talk to that trained professional, you need to have a connection with them. Like if you talk to somebody and you're like, wow, this guy's kind of a prick, you're not gonna you're not gonna heal from that guy. Go to somebody else. Like don't don't sit there and try and deal with somebody you don't like with your therapist you need to be able to trust them you need to have a connection with them because that they say 50 percent effectiveness is determined by your relationship with your therapist so you're talking a huge amount of healing or lack of can be can be done by your relationship with your therapist so that's that's huge um and then there's a community out there of people who've been through bullshit like this who are here to help you know i've done i'm gonna keep doing my part to reach out to guys who are going through this just just to be there you know um and it's just crazy too when you talk to these guys how much you have in common like every shooting's different every uh set of physical problems different every set of mental problems is different but there's just so many things that you know, we all have in common that like, do you go through this? He's like, yeah, man, I, I really want one of the big things was sleep. I didn't sleep for shit for probably like the first year. Didn't sleep. Like I could not fall asleep to save my life. Once I was asleep, which probably happened like once every two, three days, I, I'd sleep for like 12 hours because my body was exhausted, but falling asleep was brutal. And I know I've talked to other guys who really struggle with sleep because they either dream or, you know, they, they wake up every hour, but sleep is a common thing. And that got better for me one, when time had passed and I got therapy. So what about for people who, you know, like when this whole thing happens, obviously everybody around you has a reaction to this. Yeah. Right. And some of those reactions are positive and some are not. What, what would you counsel people who are close to somebody who has been through this? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I would just say that 
you should probably look at your own mental health as well because you, especially the guys who put tourniquets on me, like they, they went through something traumatic. They saw one of their buddies essentially get butchered and they had to try and fix it. Didn't know if he was going to live or die. They all had to go do interviews with blood, my blood, all over their hands, their uniforms. I mean, Spencer talked about it super close with his family. He has to go home, face his family, who's all like, how's Jordan? How's Jordan? He doesn't know. You know, you are going to have your own trauma when, especially for the guys who were there, who don't go through the, the actual, who don't actually get shot. You have trauma that you have to deal with. My advice is don't try and get your therapy session or lump yourself into that same category. And, th and this isn't to disparage anybody, but there, I, what I notice, and this happened with multiple people, is a lot of guys who were going through some mental trauma of their own would come to me and try and find some absolution in it and try and be like, we went through something crazy. And I'm like, yes, we did, but like, we went through two different things, you know? Yeah. Like, and I'll be honest, probably emotionally, I didn't have to go back to the department. I didn't have to deal with that. Like my, I, I don't know what you went through, man. And I'm sure that sucked yeah. going back to work after seeing that, seeing one of your buddies go down. I couldn't even, I can't contemplate what that's like. And that's, you need to find somebody who's been through that. Um, but at the same time too, it's like, I, I can't be your therapist cause I'm going through something as well. Um, yeah. Don't try to relive the event. Yeah. Not, not together. right away. Not right away. And it. It's all coming from a good place. I get that yep. because they need to go through it. But my advice is go talk to your therapist. Go get a therapist. Go talk to them. Go talk to each other. Go talk to... Um, and when I'm in a good place like I am now, I'll talk to you about it all day long. I could yeah. care less. We talk to... I I don't even know how many hours I've talked to all my brothers on the team about this for. Um, but when that person who's physically healing and emotionally healing, you got you got to let them heal. Don't Don't dump your your burden onto them as well. What did people do that was helpful? Um, I thought it was really helpful how people kind of coordinated behind, behind the scenes together. Like, I don't know how somebody coordinated with my parents and like every day somebody would drop off a meal. Um, you know, every, every day somebody would say, here's dinner, here's dinner, here's dinner. So my fiance, um, didn't have to worry about anything. I didn't have to worry about anything. We didn't have to order food. Just, constant stream of food i think um people got together the uh, poa fixed like my fence because one of my fence was falling and it had been my plan to fix it obviously i got hurt so i couldn't do it and they just came out of nowhere fixed my fence so just little things that the community got together and did for me really meant a lot like to this day it, it really meant a lot um one of the things that i wasn't there for but i also like really found inspirational too is the whole SWAT team got together with each other like to to deal with what they were dealing with for I think I think like a week two weeks after every day they would just go meet up and talk to each other and, and knowing that my guys were taking care of themselves especially after the initial shooting kind of gave me some peace knowing that guys were reaching out and taking care of my fiance kind of gave me peace so that way I could focus on me of because instead of having to worry about my fiance of just like, you know, is she being taken care of, I, everybody was hitting me up like, she's good. We've got her, whatever she needs, 
she gets. Don't even stress about that. So taking those little burdens off the person who's healing um, really meant a lot. Because it creates space for you to go heal. Exactly. It's just It literally just lets you focus on yourself. If you were to go back prior to this incident with, with Jordan 1.0, mm-hmm. nowhere near the man Jordan 2.0 is, but <laughs> Jordan 1.0, what would you tell you that you think would help you get through this other than what we've already talked about? Is there anything else that you'd be like, oh man, I wish I had known? Um, I don't know. Just really don't take your personal relationships, especially at home with your parents, with your fiance, with your friends, with your family. Don't take it lightly. Like take that serious because you never know when that's going to end. And luckily, you know, I got to make amends and, and, uh, you know, closer now with everybody, you know, but before I was pretty distant with everybody. I was distant with my parents. I was distant with my fiance, distant with my family. It's just a hundred percent focused on work. So if I could go back in time and just say one thing, it's just like, Hey man, really don't take those relationships for granted. Like really take that serious. Um, but as far as prepping him for it, I don't think there's any prep for it. I think you just got to go through it. I would have just, just show up physically strong yeah, and just work work your ass off. I mean, obviously, I would tactics tactics. We got to sit down and discuss some tactics. Sure. <laughs> um, hindsight being what it is, but um, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah, physically, I felt like I was prepared for it. Um, emotionally, it's a roller coaster, but I still feel like, you know, I got through it. Just the big thing I would say is your personal relationships because that could have gone differently. And, you know, I would have ended being in a less than ideal place with all the people that I love and care about. So do you think that this is, has kind of re-perspectived life for you? A hundred percent. That's, that's the biggest reason, not, not the, the biggest reason, but it's definitely consideration for my medical retirement. Like me and my fiance, you know, we want to start a family. We, uh, you know, I want to be there for my parents, X, Y, and Z. And there, there's more to life than going out and chasing murderers and gangsters. And it's fun. Don't get me wrong. And it's, and it needs to be done and it's important. Um, but for me with my hardware, everything that I went through, I had to sit down and make that, you know, personal decision to, to step back, um, with long-term goals in mind, long-term life assessment in mind where do i want to be in 10 20 30 40 years um so yeah no definitely gave me perspective on everything jordan 2.0 a better man than jordan 1.0 (laughs) i definitely feel like it matures you a lot again even against your will like you you grow up when when you go through something like this so my brother i appreciate you being here with me this was fantastic and and hopefully Everybody that heard the story will know that Jordan's okay. Yeah, and just this stuff happens. Unfortunately, it happens. We're seeing it on like a weekly, even daily basis sometimes. So hopefully this podcast can get in the right hands and hit the right set of ears. But yeah, no, thanks for thanks for having me. All right, brother. Thanks so much.